0: Matthew 6, verse 16. While you're turning there, it's always cute to ask a small child questions like, Where's your nose? Where's your eyes? Where's your mouth? Where's your neck? Amen? Do you know Jesus plays that game with his children? You guys want to play? This is how I make sure you're awake and not zoned out. It's kind of like the version of if you're happy and you know it in church. All right. Adults. Adults. Where are your hands? You got, if you got hands, put your hands up. Got a shoulder, tap shoulder. You got a head, touch your head. Where's your heart? You are all wrong. It's right here. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their fasting that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys. And money. This is a word of the Lord. Thank you to God. This is five sermons in one. So you gonna have to bear with me here. We're going to take the fasting part as an introduction. Because our Lord is showing us how fasting allows us to see where our heart truly is. Who here would like to get up and explain fasting to us? Nobody. I don't want to do this. What the heck is fasting? It's something you do to show God how much you love him. Oh, I haven't eaten in 72 days. I love Jesus so much. Is that how it works? Or is it something you do because you want to get something from God? I want wisdom, so I'm going to starve myself. God is how we're communicating fasting. Watch this. I'm going on a hunger strike until you give me wisdom. We don't say it that way. We think we're pleasing him by not eating. The other extreme is, I don't know what fasting is, so I ain't doing it. We have distorted relationships with all sorts of things since the fall. We have a distorted relationship with food and money. Stick with me here. Who's got a good theology of food? You guys run a restaurant. You want to do the theology of food talk? What is food? Why is food? What are we supposed to do with food? And guess what? If you don't know, you have a problem on your hands. God could have pre-nourished us when he created us. He didn't need to make us eat food, but he made us to eat food. And he makes us to eat food by providing the food. My goodness, it's almost like we just read a text, give us this day our daily bread. To remind us of who he is and who we are so we might delight in him. But you know what we do with food? We worship it. You ever worship food? Oh, holy hot dog. No? Comfort food? Sinful pleasures? Stick with me here. Fasting is about pushing away from the table of the world. It's about realizing that man does not live by bread alone, but oh my goodness, what if our Lord said this back in Matthew 4? That man does not live by bread alone, but, well, every word that comes from the mouth of God, stick with me here. Fasting is a way to remind ourselves by God's grace of who he is, who we are, our greatest need, our greatest provision, and our greatest treasure. You don't fast to get stuff from God. You don't fast to earn God's favor. You don't fast to look good. You don't fast to impress people. You don't fast to work off sin. You don't fast to cleanse yourself of toxins, though in the world there are fasts that work like that. You fast so that you might be able to be reminded by God's grace of who you are and who he is. Amen? When do you fast? What's the biblical command? Leviticus 16, I believe it is, on Yom Kippur, and none of y'all are Jewish. So when do you fast? That's not what the text is about, but what I want to set up is this. We come in full of feasting on the world, and the Lord says from behind us, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Y'all know Jesus' knock-knock joke? You don't know it? Y'all say, who is it? Behold and open the door. I will come into him and feast with him and he with me. You don't know that verse in Revelation? The invitation to the church of God to feast with the Son of God so that we might delight in him. So let's put fasting over here for a minute. But what I want you to understand where our Lord is going is we are filling up on the wrong things and being nourished with things that don't truly nourish us, seeking from them things that only God can deliver Do you ever wonder why so many people, when they feel overwhelmed, like to eat? Or when they feel anxious, struggle to eat? Or or have a weird, I mean, guys, it's weird. We don't just eat. We have entire industries dedicated to food. What is food? Why is food? No, no, theirs is okay. You guys are okay. What is food? Why is food? Food is for the glory of God, so the people of God might be reminded of who he is, full stop. When we eat, we should be being reminded that we are creatures who serve a creator who made us to eat. And do you know where your food comes from? God, who works almost exclusively through human agency, but he doesn't need human agency. You know the story of the food. You don't know that one? You guys don't have the audio Bible with with birds flapping in? Side note, do you all know what I'm talking about? Guy starving out in the wilderness <laughs> brings food to him. Imagine your poor pastors, this prophet. God, I can't touch that. That's not that's disgusting. Can I have a clean rabbit with gloves bring me something? <laughs> Manna falling from heaven, water from a rock, he can provide food in any way, but our reminder here, what we're after in fasting, is back up from the table of the world and do what? We'll see where your heart is. Money is a cruel master, but it's a great window. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But in order to see, you need good eyes. Who has good eyes? Who has bad eyes? What is this talking about? And I may attempt to slow us down here and make you guys think for a few minutes as we go through, so prepare to possibly be uncomfortable. Some sins are easy to pick up. You know when you're committing adultery. It's pretty easy to tell. If you need help with that, speak to me after. (laughs) Stealing. You know when you're stealing. It's not that murder is... I'm not talking about what Jesus is speaking of in the heart. I mean the action. How about greedy? Anybody here, watch this. Anyone here deal with envy? You can put your hands up. They're all going to go up. Anybody here deal with anger? Now we'll make it uncomfortable. Who's greedy and selfish? You ever notice how hard greed and selfishness are to see? But our Lord is saying a great window into our hearts is where our money and possession most naturally goes. Stick with me to the end because there's huge encouragement here, right? It's going to be a beat up for a little bit before the ice pack of the gospel comes on. It's not really a beat up. Bad eyesight makes it hard to see where we're being selfish selfish or greedy, or seeking our kingdom. We store up treasures. I want to show you a couple examples. Number one, which do you ask more robustly in using and spending your money? Can I afford it, or does it glorify God? Don't answer out loud. How did you get the job you are in or were in? Certain income, certain lifestyle, or glory of God? retirement those there those not yet there how do you know when to retire my money told me I could or God told me I could last one you ever notice we live in an endless cycle of incremental upgrades y'all graduate college come out of high school you get a job you rent an apartment right then you buy a what a starter home Then you save some money and you get a bigger home. Then you save some money and you get a second home. And you started driving the beat-up Civic and now you're driving the biblical Bentley. You're always, always, we're all doing it, we're always upgrading. Why? Do you ever slow down and stop and think about why? By God's grace, you don't have to get rid of the stuff. But the stuff is a horrible master and the danger is... If we don't have a good window into our heart, we will be captive to the master of manna as opposed to the present provision of Christ. You don't have to give it up, but you got to see it right and you got to be willing to give it up if the Lord calls you to. Stick with me here. You all with me? Good eyesight, verse 21 to 24. Lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. Here's what the text is saying 90% of all the money you earn, put it in the offering box so I could get the corporate jet. right. I mean, God God will be pleased and uh, back pay, 10 years amen is that not what this is saying this is one of those things pastors don't like to talk about I got some credibility so you know I'm not mooching off of you but here's the thing how do you lay up treasure in heaven who's got a good theology of food theology of money oh boy great opportunity here from Christ side note Jesus isn't after your money. Jesus is not short on funds. The kingdom of God is not waiting for your year-end contributions so that the kingdom can go forth. Got news for you. However, Jesus is after your heart, and he wants us to see his love for us, his promises to us, and his provision to us, and we rob ourselves of that joy and him of displaying that glory when we cling so tightly to the possessions that we have and seek from them what only Christ can give us. Y'all tracking with me? If you look at where your money goes most easily, naturally, and joyfully, you find where your treasure is. Where your money goes most easily, naturally, and generously. You want me to show you an easy example, not a bad example? I don't have them yet. Grandkids. Grandkids says to you, Papa! I would like a teddy bear. <laughs> I don't want to spend money on you, you dirty, german infested rat. You gave me a cold for three weeks? I'm not buying you a teddy bear. Keep that inside. What good grandparent doesn't delight in giving gifts and spending money on their grandchild? Your kid calls you up. Little Johnny needs a new kidney, but I can't afford it, and he's not going to make it. Don't worry about it. I take care of this. Kind of grandchild, well, you know, like, I understand you're in a bad spot, but your mom and I were finally going on that vacation. Could you imagine? This isn't bad. I'm just giving you an example. Where, and this is where you got to think, where do you invest in security, acceptance, approval, comfort, wisdom, beauty, riches, health, belonging? I'll stop. If you broke out your checkbook, Or or look at where you're invested. How much of that goes to trying to get from things which you can only get from God? And some of those are good things. Listen, we pay money every month for an alarm system at the church. It's not that I don't trust God. I do trust God. And the provision's there, so we have an alarm system. I'll connect this for you at the end. But the reality is ultimate security isn't found in an alarm system. We, We want approval. Some people want to be beautiful. So you know what you do? You spend a fortune on beauty products. And and then you have a child like mine will say to you, they were two, so-and-so, name blank, why do your face and hair not match? This was a relative who gave birth to me who, who dyed her hair black. And my sweet son Cameron says, or was it Jay? Who was it? Cam says, Nanny, why do your face and hair not match? What he meant was she had wrinkles on her face. She's 70 years old and she's got all black hair, no gray. Y'all tracking with me? We we want beauty. We want to look ageless. We want to look young and vibrant and healthy. And here's the thing. I'm not saying stop putting the cream on your face, but think about what you're looking for from the cream. You want to be beautiful. Who here is beautiful? If you know who you are in Christ, you are beautiful beyond measure. And no matter how few wrinkles you have and how dark your hair is or how much hair you have, that doesn't change a thing. Y'all understand that. You want to be secure. Paul was secure in prison. You ever read Philippians? You want to be accepted. Go ahead and win the lottery. You'll have a whole bunch of friends. But if you really want to be accepted, understand the acceptance that you have in Christ. Do you want wisdom? Why do you want wisdom? Do you want wisdom so people are impressed by you? Or do you want wisdom so you can be impressed by God? Do you see what's going on here? There's thought that has to go into this. This isn't as easy a text as we might think, and this is where it gets super duper tricky. Do you know what the most dangerous idols you worship are? Well, I ask it differently. Do you know you worship idols? If you don't, you have a problem on your hands. Do you know the most dangerous idols you worship? The good things that God entrusts to you that become God things. Let me give you a couple examples. Family. Children, money, vocation, church. You can even worship the Bible. A lot of people, this is not God's revelation is an idol. You ever think about how the Bible can become an idol? Dear Bible, I will read five chapters a day so life goes better for me. Thank you, Bible. think, Think about this a little bit. The Bible is not a God. The Bible is the word of God. There is nothing wrong with good things, but when good things are sought after to deliver what only God can deliver, now you have a problem. Everybody sticking with me here? So, the question we're after is how do we identify where our treasure is misplaced? Here's the dirty little secret. As a believer, joy begins with knowing I, I have a problem and I have trouble seeing my problem. You ever hear a Bible verse sound something like this? Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Give you a hint. It's in the book of Hebrews. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Watch this. Corporately, we have good eyesight individually we're not equipped by God to see. Now watch how this works. Have you ever had a conversation, and not with your spouse, because spouses tend to have the same myopia. You know, Laura and I, we, we can do a good job of here, here's our selfish, greedy, semi-sanctified view of what we want to do. I mean, I've been trying to convince her for years about, you know, we're going to Seabrook, right? Once I convince her, she has to just sit through one more Pennsylvania winter, and she's golden. The problem is someone would be and I'm not going. You guys think this is a long play. So it's like two years out. I'm not going to Seabrook. I can't afford it anyway. So don't worry. Don't get an attitude to keep me humble that way either. But what happens is when we have others who we've allowed to know us well, what a marvelous place we're in, in particular in the life of a church. So listen to this. I asked a question, which do you ask more robustly with dealing or spending money? Can I afford this or will this glorify God, help others glorify him more robustly, in particular in the local church? You ever think about that? So here's the rubber for Seabrook. Let's say that I could afford to go to Seabrook. I could afford to retire because my money says so. And I say to Laura, and she's beat down 20-some-odd years of being a pastor's wife, hey, Laura, what do you want to do? Do you want to, should we stay or should we go? Yeah, what, what's she going to say? But what if I, I built relationships with some of you in the church, and I can say to you, and you know me well enough, that you can say, that's not going to offer what you think it's going to offer. Only God can offer the rest you're after. Only God can offer the joy you're after. Only God can offer the comfort and contentment that you're after. Not walks on the beach every morning in 70 degree temperatures in the middle of January, but man, that sounds nice. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Why don't we communicate with one another, encouraging one another in asking the questions, are you spending and using the money that the Lord's entrusted to you as he calls you to or based on can you afford this? You want to know the secret? I don't think we want to know the answer. Let's see. The implication of the text is in the flesh. We have bad eyesight and the devil works very well to continue this. How did you get in the vocation you are in? Did you, th- did you think when you were a kid, what would be honorable and pleasing to the Lord based on the gifts and passions he's given me so I can serve him and glorify him and love others? Listen, when I'm growing up, I used my favorite trip was to go to the Mint in D.C. And I was going to have them personally printing just for me. My goal vocationally was, I wasn't saved so I could pre-pass. My goal vocationally was not the glory of God, it was the glory of me. But even as a believer, the rub is I'm looking out for number one first and the number one associates and the number. But who should be looking out for number one? God. Do you know Bible talks about a difference? If you seek after riches, you're going to have a problem. You you don't believe me. I'll give you some Bible verses here. But if you seek after riches, you're going to have problems. If riches come seeking after you, enjoy them. Do you understand the difference? If you want to make a lot of money, sell drugs illegally. Till you get caught, you'll be doing well. You're dishonoring the Lord. You have a world of trouble. And heck, I'll turn you in if I find out you're doing this. But if you just want to get rich, there are some get rich quick schemes out there. I mean, go into thievery. You can do well in this stuff. But if you glorify the Lord and the Lord wants to give you abundant wealth, You are absolutely free to enjoy that wealth to the glory of God. But the question is, are you enjoying it or are you captive to it? Now, here's the kicker. I'm preaching in the middle of Chester County. Very few people in Chester County are starving. Very few people. I mean, we may be overextended, but very few people are are living in the context. Now, relative to each other, I get it. But guys, we have discretionary money. We have money to spend on things besides the bare necessities. I don't imagine anyone here is struggling to have a choice between heat, food, and a phone regularly. Though it happens, and we need to be aware of it if it's in our church. The, the arguments in our house, tend in our, house, in our houses, tend to be, turn down the heat, this is ridiculous, push back from the table, come on, and how many devices do you really need? Correct. <laughs> and so what, what we need to fight for with one another is this, because it's not just the things, the possessions you hang on to. It's the life that you have and what it is. I mean, think about retirement. Before you retired or before you retire, did you communicate with brothers and sisters in Christ and land a good theology of retirement? Or are you just looking to get out of the job? I mean, like I put in my time, I ground myself down, I'm done. Is that a good theology? I'm not saying that it's wrong to retire and and, and I'm saying that as a fifty year old, right? I gotta still do this for two more decades? Come on now, you can't quit. But what does it look like? What what if the Lord retires you? What if the Lord has provided in such a way and limited you in a certain way physical ability or opportunity that he presents new work for you to do, knowing that your labor in the Lord will never be in vain? But in our cultural context, retirement is about now I can do what I want, when I want, and how I want. Oh, my goodness, please be careful here. Here's what our Lord is after. Here's the beauty of the text. Jesus, I don't know how many of you know this, but Jesus wants you to be miserable. He wants you to live in squalor. He wants you to eat rice cakes and drink water. He doesn't want you to smile. You've got to wear long white garments and sandals and live in a hot, hot environment just like him. Y'all know that's what Christianity is about. No laughing, no smiling, no showing your teeth. Fasting and wearing, you know, camel hair sweaters. Amen? What's our Lord after here? What? You cannot serve both God and money. Anyone have two jobs ever in your life? You ever have two jobs? Text is wrong, right? You can have two employers, amen? You catch the difference between an employer and a master? Does anyone here, remember we talked about the difference between an employee and a fatherly relationship with Christ a couple weeks ago? Does anyone here have an employee versus a master relationship with Christ? Today is Sunday. A lot of professing believers work for Christ on Sunday, work for man on Monday to Friday, and you work for yourself on Saturday. You ever notice that's how we tend to navigate life? I work for God on Sunday. I work for my employer Monday to Friday. And then I get a day for myself on Saturday. We have a master and his name is Christ. And we are slaves, duelists to Christ alone. We are saved by him to serve him and do his glory, live for his glory and do his will full stop. And if I just full stop there, it's not going to be very exciting. But watch the gospel pivot. What is Jesus' treasure? Mm. You see what's going on here. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I, I know a guy who lived in perfect paradise and perfect fellowship with perfect power and perfect joy, and left to seek and save that which was so precious to him. Me. You, the church. Little by little, as we are able to see how Jesus treasures us, how he laid down his life for us, how he sees us, how he cares for us, how he cherishes us, little by little, more and more, as we see how he sees us, the Holy Spirit causes us to see him in a similar way. Jesus is not saying, Give me your stuff and be miserable. Jesus is saying, you were made for so much more than your stuff. Your stuff is made to work for you, but you are saved to live with me. Here's the crazy thing. Jesus is better than anything out there, but we doubt him in that. And this is how we functionally live. When I grew up, my dad drove this point home regularly. I don't know if it scarred me or helped me. This is not your house. This is my house. I mean, imagine telling that to a a 12-year-old kid. I'm like, but I thought I lived here. No, you live here until you go get out, pay for your college, and then you're out. It's not your house. Got nice stuff. It's not yours. It's my money, my cars, my stuff. You're here. I'll help you out if you need help when you're a grown-up. doesn't clarify what help means. I think it means right before you die. But it's his stuff, and he had a good point. When I would drive my dad's car, I'm driving my dad's car, and I have to return it at some point. When I use his credit card, it's going to show up on what I did. Let me flesh it into adulthood. We used to live in hoity-toity fancy town on the North Shore of Chicago. I grew up well-to-do. I feel like I grew up in poverty by where we lived in in what Cameron used to call Oshago, Chicago. used to house watch some estates down the street. Beautiful estates you know, with, with man-made ponds that were stocked that you could boat in. Beautiful houses with wings, bathrooms that... I mean, beautiful bathrooms. You're talking about like you don't even have to pull the window blinds because ain't nobody coming near the property. Secure, I mean, beautiful. Imagine if guys are gone, the family's gone for two or three weeks, and I'm watching the house, full access, alarm code, keys. I can do whatever I want. This is before cameras in the houses, right? Could you imagine if I moved in and treated it like my own house, invited my friends over, telling them, this is mine. Look at my house. Look at how I'm doing. You want to go for a drive in the car? Let's go for a drive in the car. I got access to it. Here's the thing. My daddy was right. It was his house. I saw right as a young adult. That's not my house. That was the Dixon's house. The money you got, whose is it? It's not yours. The life you live, whose is it? The house you own, whose is it? The, the, the wisdom that you've got, whose is it? Everything that you have is God's to be used for his glory, and here's the freedom. If the house burns down, it was never yours in the first place. God will take care of that. I mean, get an insurance policy, you know, you've got to be responsible, human responsibility, but it's just Stuff. Do you know how fragile and irritable and messed up we are because we're clinging to stuff as if in the stuff we're going to find joy, security, comfort, contentment, and life everlasting? everlasting? Can I tell you a secret? Solomon told me it doesn't work. No matter how many possessions you have, you will always live with a fear of those possessions going away because they will. Look at the text here. He says, do not lay up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Do you know what's going on there? It makes no sense if you go too fast, but clothes, grain, and gold were where people in Jesus's days laid up their treasure. Moths will eat your clothes. We got any people who, well, I got to be careful with this. I don't want to insult anybody. I grew up with a mothball closet in my house. Remember those mothballs? My, my parents are old. Patty, you remember mothballs? You get yelled at if you open the mothball closet. See what I did there? Okay. No, kidding. You open the door, my mom would yell, shut the door! It smells, like, it smells like old people. Well, mothballs keep your clothes from getting eaten by. Ready for this? Moths. Well, that's what Jesus is talking about. But what about rust? Does anyone have gold? They don't have a gold wedding ring. Do you ever notice it doesn't rust? What's this talking about? You want a little totally irrelevant, interesting theological fact? The Greek word is brosis, which can mean rust, but it can also mean devoured as if by a rodent. And so if we apply it to grain, brosis would be, if you store up grain in your storehouses, rodents can eat it. So you may have a footnote on the bottom that says something about the word "brosus" in there, but that's probably what's going on. Our Lord is tying this in to clothes, grain, and gold. What's the danger to your gold? Thieves break in and steal. Do you ever notice the danger in life where you sit back and you have so much stuff and then you spend so much time trying to manage and protect your stuff? And I don't just mean houses, I mean across the board. We are terrified of losing things. And the greatest terror comes in those things that we most treasure. So our Lord isn't calling us to trust in him like Abraham and go sacrifice our kid right here. But he's saying, trust us with mammon. Trust him, trust us. Trust him with mammon. Trust him with stuff. How does this play out? I don't know, guys. Let's pray. There are a lot of conversations i run into pastorally about does the tithe still apply today? It is a robust theological conversation, meaning do you give to God 10% or do we not have to give God 10%? Is it more free will offering, whatever you want? Or is it actually more than 10%? Is it 10% on gross or net? Do you have to pay on interest income? When you have an inheritance, do you pay on an inheritance? If you get a bonus, do you pump the brakes? Do you know the purpose of financially giving to God? Number one, right off the bat, it's a reminder. It's not yours in the first place. And we got sticky fingers. We, we hold on to stuff. We're, we're accumulators for security. I've never met a person who tries to articulate how we don't live under the tithe because they were interested in giving to the Lord 30 or 40%. Do you understand what I'm saying here? I used to be a master of this. Bless you. Here's the thing, here's a lesson I learned the hard way by God's grace, and I'll probably still learn to the day I die. I was very generous when I first came to faith. In fact, we used to have an offering plate. This is part of the scarring why we have a box, not a plate here. We should just have the, you ever seen the perpetual plate? It just keeps going by until it fills up. Or you ever see the buckets on sticks? I'm a big fan of those. I was going to have Charlie, you know, with a little bell, shake the bucket until, you know, and just leave it there. Charlie, leave it there until they give. I used to put a Chris, Chris 20 every week. Well, every week we went to church, right? I mean, I didn't even fold that sucker. I wanted everybody to see the Chris 20. Boom. I was, I was just mm, generous. Here's what the Lord is after, and here's what's hard. There's a course correction for most people in life. For others, this should be an encouragement, and a reminder of joy. If you've been walking with Christ, you've experienced this in some measure. I had lunch years ago with a gentleman who's no longer here at the church. Nice guy, wonderful guy, he said to me over lunch, he was a very young believer at the time, this giving thing is really uncomfortable for me. Remember, we were sitting at the old stadium grill. Remember the stadium grill over in Eagle? And he said, this giving thing is really uncomfortable for me. And I said to him, well, why? Yeah, I, mean, I kind of know the answer to the question. So why? He says, you know, I got, I got three little kids. My business is finally getting going here. I have a lot of bills. I'm overextended in life a little bit. And I, 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 it just hurts. And you know what the good advice to someone like that is? Suck it up. No. You asked the question because you got the window. Why does it hurt? Because giving is not supposed to hurt. Giving is supposed to be a joy. And here's the thing. When it hurts, you have two choices per our text. Praise God for the good eye that allows you to look at the injury and understand where the injury comes from. Or just move on and don't feel the pain. And the joy that this man got to experience as we had many, many conversations over it was digging into why it hurts. One of the gifts, and it's a great gift if you have kids, start with your kids because it's much harder when you get to be an adult kid. Conversation with another gentleman here who's my age. And he said, per, was off of a text like this, we were talking through this years ago, i not, not a member of the church here. He said, you know, I have a really good job that pays me a whole lot of money and has provided a marvelously comfortable lifestyle for my family. But I'm pretty darn sure this is not the work the Lord wants me to do. I'm just doing it to acquire money, and I keep acquiring money, but, but I'm, I'm just really convicted this is not what the Lord wants me to do, but here's my problem, he says. How do you stop? Because am I supposed to tell my wife, sorry, we're moving? No more vacations, no more shopping, no more golf clubs, no more nothing? Am I supposed to tell my kids, hey, say goodbye to your friends, we can't afford the private school anymore? Because what are you supposed to do? That's a real struggle. But here's the joy. He's got to be able to see the joy in that. And not despair. He's got to be able to see hope in Christ through that and not think I've ruined my whole life. And here's the encouragement because we're, we're all probably somewhere in this mess. Amen? Amen? The beauty of financial stewardship, it's where the Lord equips his people to not cling too tightly to their stuff and be reminded of how tightly he clings to us. If you cannot afford to give to God, you've missed something along the way. And I don't mean like generously like me back in the day. I mean by principle and precept as the Lord calls us to. It's not, listen to me here, it's not that God wants your stuff to make you miserable. It's that God wants you to enjoy his stuff in true joy. There are genuine believers that can fly on their own private jets and have five homes all over the place and abundant riches. That's not the issue. But with abundance of riches comes an abundance of pitfalls and troubles. Let the the riches chase you down. Don't you go chasing the riches down. Our job, our joy, is to pursue Christ knowing that the hound of heaven has already pursued and found us. So when the Lord calls us to give, what our challenge should be is to give to him so we might know who he is more fully, who we are in him more joyfully, and how his plans are better than our plans. Sunday school today, we're going to be talking about this, your will be done little secret that we all struggle with. God's will is better than our will. God will take better care of you than you can take of yourself. And I am speaking to you as an absolute hypocrite because I struggle with that most of the time. I have a list of worries that I have to share with God so he knows what he should be doing. If God would just care for me like I know he should care for me, life would be great. right? I'll I'll trust God as long as he shows me everything up front. I want dates and times and what's coming. Good stuff only. (laughs) Many of you here are able to understand through faithful financial stewardship over an extended period of time. And when I say faithful, I don't mean pat yourself on the back. I mean God's gracious showing and demonstrating through you that God does provide for all of our needs. That genuine believers can have wonderfully nice stuff and enjoy God far more than the stuff. Amen. For others, there's an invitation here. Trust him. Money is a horrible master. It will never deliver on what you you think it will. It will never give you the promises it makes to you. And you will always live with a sense of fear and fragility. You can't lose your salvation, but you can lose the joy of your salvation. Here's what we're after. Here's where we close. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You know what the reward is? Do you know what the reward is? You think you know? Eternal life. Eternal life. You guys know what eternal life is? Knowing God, living relationally with God, the reward is that we are able to enjoy God. He pivots right here and do not lay up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. It doesn't mean don't buy a house. It doesn't mean don't save money. These are things that you should do if you're able to, to the glory of God. He commands us to in scripture. What it does mean is do it the way the Lord calls you to. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Some of y'all work with financial planners. Amen. You work with a financial planner. They usually put a date when you're going to drop dead. And then they tell you how to have enough money so your money outlasts your drop dead date. And if you're doing good, then your kids get the leftovers. Amen. And if you're a bad parent, you have a big old party when you start <coughs> feeling sick at the end. How long y'all planning on living? 92? Isn't that kind of where most people plan to? 92? And then you find your 93rd birthday, everybody's depressed. The kids are like, man, you outlasted it. The parents are like, I got nothing left. No. Anybody plan on going to 100? Are you saving up for 100? Do I got a 120 out there? Anybody go for 120, 125? (laughs) You know how long you're going to live? Forever. Forever and ever and ever. Why do we act like this is all we got? What does it mean to store up for yourself treasure in heaven? Do you know what the word philanthropy means? It's kind of like Philadelphia. You hear that same word? Philanthropy. Good of mankind. Brotherly love, Philadelphia. We should be stewarding our money and possessions to the glory of God and good of others. And this is a recalibration. We rarely think of it that way how i spend how i save what i do what i own is it for your good over my own is it to the glory of god and there's joy to behold in this now now we're going to stop here because the sermon continues next week therefore i tell you do not be anxious about your life what you will eat what you will drink nor about your body stick with me here if You struggle with any sort of fears and anxieties. Can I tell you at times where they come from every single time? Functional deities. The Lord saying, push back from the table of the world. Look through the window of your possessions so you might see where your heart is. And then he will cast judgment upon you based on where your heart is. You are a horrible disappointment in how you spent your money. What a miserable failure you are. You're saved by technicality. Enter into your eternal rest. Is that what you think you're going to hear? You think Jesus sees you as an absolute miserable failure? You missed the gospel. What he calls us to is the relocation of our treasure to him. And when our treasure is rightly placed, our joy is rightly had, And our anxieties slowly cast aside. Let's close here because I can't preach the second sermon. Father, help. Father, help us to understand this text is not a demand from you to get your act together. This is a reminder from you that you treasure us. Lord Jesus we tend to be performers. We perform in our giving, in our praying, in our fasting, like the hypocrites in the flesh, Lord. talked about this in the previous verses. Allow us to set our deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Rest in you, all alone, glorious and complete. Allow us to stop performing for you and gaze upon your performance for us. Lord, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to you by the death of your son, much more now that we are reconciled, are we being sanctified? Meaning, Lord, how much more could you love us? Forgive us that we doubt that you will care for us just like you say. Forgive us for neglecting to hear from you through your word. Forgive us from clinging so tightly to stuff. And help us, Holy Spirit, not to lay aside stuff to impress you, but rather allow us to be impressed by you so we hold loosely to our stuff and tightly to you. Lord Jesus, what would life be like if we could trust that if needed you would provide water from a rock, food from a raven, and passage through the ocean by the lifting of an old man's staff? Lord, while we will almost certainly not experience these exact situations in life, As we've walked with you for an extended period of time, we have seen your faithfulness and generosity and kindness and provision to us as your people. Help us to not live in fear of what's next, but in joyful anticipation of what's next. Lord Jesus, be to us our greatest treasure. Be to us our most dear possession. Be to us the closest friend that we could ever have, for that is what you truly are. Lord Jesus, help us to understand that whether we have $1,000 in the bank or $100 million in the bank, true riches are found in you and you alone. For we sit in the presence of the richest people on the face of the earth right now, children of the King of kings and Lord of lords, in whose name we pray. Amen.